Thanks so much, Nikki. Thanks, Pete, for picking me up. Thank you for having me. Um, I totally invited myself. <laughs> because I looked at the map and I was like, I'm going to be near Skylark and I need to have a night. And I thought I'd really... Oh, thanks, Eddie. She's throwing water at me now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I thought... I know what I really want to do is just come back to Skylark and see all of you guys. <laughs> so um, I would love to speak tonight from something that I have that I saw when I was studying Acts during August, really, and then a bit into September. So I do I do a lot of study for my job of different things, but I just decided for my own personal devotions that I would study Acts for a few weeks. And, um, and I'm trying to brush up on my Greek and get my Greek uh, better. And so I thought I'm going to study my Greek. And it's amazing when you study uh, a text in the language that it was written because you see really different things. And one of the things that you see is, a re is the repetition of words that you don't necessarily see so much in when you read the, or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. And as I was reading, the thing that I saw was how many times uh, Luke, who wrote this, talks about people being raised up and standing. And I thought, this just keeps happening. All these people just keep being raised up to stand. And it's this extraordinary theme that is so strong in Acts, and it comes over and over and over again. And as I kept reading more and more about this, I thought, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does for human beings, is to raise us up so that we can stand. So I just want to um, show you a bit of that in Acts, and then uh, just talk a little bit about what I think that means for us, and then we would love to pray that, that the Spirit comes and raises us up and helps us to stand. The first thing that I noticed, well, I noticed all these people being raised up to stand, but then I went back and I noticed that before the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2, at the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples, which was just a small group of 120 people, imagine the whole worldwide church starting with that many people. That's incredible, isn't it? There are millions and millions and millions of people have come to know Jesus, just starting from that tiny little group. And, uh, they, and, and they were there waiting, and it says they were sitting. And I think it's the only place where it says that they were sitting, and then after that, nobody sits. <laughs> Once the church has started, it's just so much activity. But they were sitting because they were waiting to receive. And they were waiting 
for God to do something in their lives that they couldn't do for themselves. And so there's a, there's a sense, there's a time, there's a season, and there's a place for us to just be waiting. Not passive. Passive is something different because it's actively waiting. But they were sitting because they knew that they shouldn't start running in their own strength. So there's a, there's a moment where we have to say, okay, God, I will sit in your presence, but I'm ready now to receive. So they are waiting and they're praying, but they're sitting. And then the Holy Spirit falls in just phenomenal power on them. The promise that Jesus had given them, this, this power is going to come on you from on high. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and beyond and to the whole world, which is true. Not necessarily those people, but all the people that became Christians through them went to the whole world, and it's still going on. And then there's a really moving bit. After the Spirit has fallen, when Peter stands up, and he's the first person to stand. And it says, oh, it's the first person we hear who stands. And it says, it, it actually says more something like this. Peter, standing, lifted up his voice and spoke out. It's a really powerful picture of this man who had betrayed Jesus. Imagine the shame that Peter must have carried. And we know if you read the Gospel of John that Jesus, before he ascends, so Jesus has ascended by this time. He's, he's gone now. He's kind of said, I've come and now I'm going and I'll send you the Spirit. But And so we know that when he was around, he'd restored Peter. But we also know as human beings that even though someone said, oh, it's fine, it's gone, don't worry about it anymore, that until we actually live in the reality of it, it's still there, isn't it? And you still sort of think, I, I know, I know he forgave me, and I know, but, but there's something about God just vindicating us, which convinces us that we're forgiven. And this was Peter's vindication. This was the sign to the, all of the disciples. He really is totally forgiven, guys, because now he's the one who's going to lead you through this. And so this man who had, must have hit rock bottom is the first one to stand. And he stands up and he lifts up his voice and he speaks out. There's a huge authority now in Peter that comes on him because of the Holy Spirit. And so he stands up. And then you go further on in Acts 2, and Peter, Peter preaches. So this is his first Christian sermon. And unsurprisingly, his big theme is that Jesus was raised up from the dead. And so he mentions this twice in his sermon. He mentions it in verse 24 and verse 32. And he says, But God raised him from the dead. 
So he says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then in verse 34, uh, sorry, verse uh, 32. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. The only reason that the disciples can be raised up is because Jesus was raised up. So Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the victorious one, and he defeats death, and he is raised up, and then in him, his disciples are raised up. And then you come to the first miracle in Acts when Peter heals this lame beggar. Peter and John are walking along and there's this lame beggar who his friends bring him because he can't walk. And for years and years, his friends have brought him and lain him down so that he can beg. It must have been one of the most undignified existences that someone can have. He couldn't even get himself to the place where he was going to beg. He was utterly, utterly dependent. Dependent on his friends to bring him, dependent on people to give to him. He had nothing of his own life, really. And that's what his life was. And then it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So he, got, he got him to look them in the eye. Because he knew if he could just look at him, he would begin to impart the dignity that he needed to impart to him. You know when you're beaten and downtrodden, and you, don't, you, you can't look people in the eye. And you know when you meet people who have just had so much battering in life and they can't look you in the eye. But you know that if Jesus could just catch their eye, that something would change, that they'd understand who they are. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. It says he raised him up. So taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. But what I, uh, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's such a great picture, isn't it? Walking and jumping and praising God. Most of us need someone to give us a hand to raise us up. The Holy Spirit is enormously powerful, and the Holy Spirit had fallen on the apostles, 
and on this little group. And then Peter had preached his sermon, and then all these people had become Christians. But this man was so beaten down that he needed someone to come alongside and just take his hand and raise him up. And I think that God's so kind. You know, we, we sing about, you oh Jesus, you're all I need. And, but Jesus knows he's not all that we need because we need each other. <laughs> and he's given us each other. And so he gives... He gives Peter to this man to reach out his hand and raise him up. We are called to be people who reach out to others and take them by the hand and raise them up and look them in the eye. It's powerful. Human beings are a powerful force on this earth. There are four kind of uh, miracles, really. There are lots of miracles mentioned in Acts. So if you look at Acts 5, it says, it talks about these amazing miracles of Peter's shadow, and, you know, there are handkerchiefs, and there are extraordinary things going on, and it says that everybody was healed. But the only specific miracles that are mentioned are of lame people being raised up or people being raised from the dead, and there are four of them. And so there's this lame beggar here. There's Aeneas and Tabitha, who are uh, he, who Tabitha's raised from the dead. Eutyches is this young man when Paul is preaching who falls out of the window. It's just the most bizarre story. Isn't the Bible strange? <laughs> Don't you think that? It's such a strange book. <laughs> to Paul's preaching, and this young man falls asleep and falls out the window. And it's kind of like this comic, tragic thing. And then Paul runs down the stairs, throws himself on the boy, and brings him back to life. <laughs> and then there are two lame people, and that's it. Those are the specific miracles. I think Luke has a theme, and I think it's that God raises people up. And when Peter goes to Tabitha, or Dorcas, as she's called, he does the same thing. He, he reaches out and takes her by the hand and raises her up. And she stands. And the lame man goes to the temple with Peter and John, and they stand before the authorities. So one of the reasons that they need to learn to stand is because they're going to have to take up authority against opposition. And the church very soon faces some really fierce opposition. So in Acts 4, Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That was the main, the main theme of their sermons, of their evangelism, was that Jesus had been raised from the dead. So Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus had all the power over death. And that was, that was the topic that they kept coming back to. They seized Peter and John 
And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So even though the two main apostles had gone into prison, the church starts mushrooming. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. It's formidable. Authorities ranged up against them. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he preaches to them. Peter and John are put in prison and they're released by an angel who says, guess what? Go and stand in the temple and preach. The same place where they've just been arrested and the angel says, go back Stand up and preach again. The standing that the Holy Spirit is calling the apostles to do is to stand up against opposition and to face their fears and to stand up for the name of Jesus. And then you get to uh, the first martyrdom to Stephen. And there's, this is really an incredibly powerful moment. Stephen uh, also preaches an incredibly long sermon. <laughs> I don't know if you, do you read Stephen's sermon? It goes on quite a long time. And, um, and he preaches this sermon. And you read it and you sort of think, why would you kill someone for saying that? It's just a sermon, but it's blasphemy because there's something about the move of God on this earth by the Holy Spirit that deeply troubles the controlling authorities. It really deeply troubles them, and they don't like it. It's a mystery why and how this happens but when you get to verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, this sermon that he preaches, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I don't think there's another place. We were trying to work out this at WTC. We don't think there's another place in the Bible where Jesus stands at the right hand of God. Jesus has gone and sits at the right hand of God. But when the first of his children, 
his brothers and God's sons has to face death, the first person in the church, Jesus stands in authority. And Stephen sees him. So Stephen knows that his savior is standing for him. And he's standing waiting to welcome him, the martyr's crown, to give him the glory that he will now have in heaven with his savior. But when we're facing opposition, our savior is standing on our behalf. And that's a powerful thing. So Stephen is killed and Paul, who is then Saul, is watching and approving this death. And we know that it's not long now until Saul is going to be literally knocked off his horse, knocked off his feet, flattened onto the ground and blinded for three days when he meets the Lord Jesus. And Ananias is sent to go and see Saul. Imagine, he's the one who's been killing Christians. You must think, have I heard this right? Do I, you know, what a fearful thing to have to go and see this guy. And he must have thought, well, maybe this, is this a trick? Am I hearing the right thing? But no, he's commanded to go and to lay hands on him and he receives his sight, and the church is never the same. It's the beginning of the opening of the Gentile church, when Saul gets converted and then becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And Saul, who becomes Paul, has to learn to stand up against so much opposition. It goes on and on and on, to be honest, through, through Acts this whole theme of being raised up to stand. And it is a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. I read, um, I, I've been reading a book uh, uh, on the Holy Spirit, well, rereading a book on the Holy Spirit by a, um, a theologian called Hendrikus Burkhoff. He was a Dutch theologian. And he just had this little phrase which really st stuck with me. And he said, the Holy Spirit creates a world of his own. And I thought, that's so true. It's not that he's different from Jesus, because he's the Spirit of God, and he's the Spirit of Jesus who's been left with us. So he's kind of Emmanuel now. The Holy Spirit is God with us. But he, in a sense, has more to do. And the more to do that he's got to do is creating this world of his own with us. That's his job. So Jesus gathered his little group and then he gave them a pep talk and then he left them. And then the Holy Spirit comes like a wind and a fire and just kind of more than Jesus in a way, and creates a world of his own. And this world of his own that he creates 
is constructed by filling all of us. That, that's what he does. So he's like, oh, great. I'll take these guys and I'll fill them with power and I'll fill them with the love of God and I'll fill them so deeply with the love of God that it'll just flow out of them and then they'll want to go and tell everybody else about it. And something will come out of them that I've put in them. And so we're, we're empowered and, and recreated as people who are still the same people, but we do things that we could have never done without God. And it is an amazing thing to follow Jesus because you just never really know what's going to happen next. Do you? We've had a, an extraordinary 15 years in Bristol. Me and my husband, and I've got four kids who are now grown up. And we thought we were being called to church plant. And I think we kind of were. We made a lot of mess of a lot of stuff. But we're still there. We're still, we've still got a little community church. And back in Easter, I was exhausted. And my husband was exhausted. And our kids started saying, telling us the truth, which was the truth. And they said, you know, mom and dad, you're kind of, it's like your heart's not really in it. Are you, you know, do you want to do this? And I thought, I don't know, do we want to do this? <laughs> maybe we should, maybe 15 years, maybe we should, maybe we should kind of pull up stumps, let someone else do some stuff, go to somebody else's church. Or I, but then I thought, oh no, we'd be awful in somebody else's church. <laughs> so I know I'd drive them mad. So that wasn't a very good option. And um, we just prayed and we prayed and we kept asking God and, and we were tired. And we thought, well, we were even in a sense a bit too tired to sort of make a big decision. So we just kept going. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, my son and his wife led a young man to the Lord and it's the first conversion that we've had in years, I think about three years. And he came for dinner a week ago on Sunday. And he told us what had happened when he met Jesus. And the, what it did for our spirits was just indescribable. And one of the things he said was, he said, you know, well, he said two things that really hit me. One was he said, well, I just feel like I've come home. And he wasn't from a Christian background at all. And then he said, I feel like a different person, but in another way, I'm not a different person because I'm more myself than I've ever been. And you just think, this is what we're in this for, isn't it? Is what we do all of this for. And it doesn't matter if it's one person or thousands of people. And some of you might bring thousands of people to Jesus, literally. We shouldn't rule that out. And maybe Nick and I will bring one or two or five. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. What matters is that we keep witnessing 
to Jesus and that he's risen from the dead because he's alive. And if he's alive, then everything he promised he could do and would do, which was to take away our sin, means he can do that. That's why being raised from the dead was so important. Because it was the proof that everything he'd said about himself and everything that he had promised he could do for humanity, he really could do. Because if he can defeat death, he can do anything. And then there were these miracles of his, his disciples saying, oh, well, we can do that too. We can raise people from the dead. If God calls us to do that. And on Sunday night, so last Sunday we spoke to Alex about coming to know Jesus. And this Sunday we had visitors to our little group. And, he, and my son said, well, why don't you tell people? He came and he said, tell, tell people what, what's happened to you. And so he, he explained. And he said, I said, I said uh, prayer of commitment, is that the right expression? <laughs> And he gave his testimony. And then literally about 10 minutes later, we had one of our visitors came into our little group and he was next to me. And we always try and pray for our visitors in our little church. And we don't say we're going to prophesy over you, but that's what we try and do. And we don't ask them what they want prayer for. We just bless them. And I prayed and someone else prayed. And then Alex had the most amazing prophecy for this woman. And he said, I don't know, but I just think God's shown me this. And she was in floods of tears. And I thought, you know, don't limit the work of the Holy Spirit. We mustn't do that. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Men and women, young men, old men, young women, older women, Slaves, slave girls. The Holy Spirit came and started a revolution. And that's the world that he creates. I, I do have a passion for raising up women so they can stand. <laughs> and I've done a lot of work on that. In, in the last few years on writing about that and speaking about that and praying for that. But I have four sons and actually I really want to raise up anyone and everyone. <laughs> and that's why I said to Nikki, I said, well, actually, I'd just like to, I, I love to raise up women, but I want to talk about empowering the whole people of God. And one of the things that I see now is that is that a whole load of people are being undermined, not just women, but young men are struggling with self-esteem and struggling with identity and struggling with who they are and struggling with body image in a way that they never did before. And it's just a curse that's over people. But Jesus is powerful and can break that. And the name of Jesus breaks that. And then the Holy Spirit can heal the things that are crippling us and raise us up so that we can stand. And that's what uh, we want to pray tonight. I was on a week ago, 
uh, Nick, my husband, and I uh, were invited to go and visit Elam. I don't know how many... Have you heard of Elam? It's a, it's a ministry. It's a, a discipling ministry for Iranians. So it's run by really an Iranian family, uh, but employs a number of people now. It's quite a big sort of organization, and there are some British people who work there. And it's absolutely phenomenal. It was literally like walking into acts, hearing their stories. And the funny thing was is that I had read, well, I knew this was coming up, and they'd asked me uh, to do, to kind of speak at their um, middle-of-the-day chapel sort of thing. And I was thinking, I really think that maybe you should teach me and Nick <laughs> rather than us coming to you. But, you know, they're so humble and they're so wonderful. And we just had such an amazing day there. We saw little videos of their story and we heard stories about what's happening in Iran and Turkey. So they, they go to Turkey to evangelize to Iranian refugees in Turkey because you're allowed to evangelize to the Iranians in Turkey. You can't evangelize in Turkey to the Turkish. But if you're a Christian, you can go to the Iranians. And I said, well, how do you know they're Iranians? They're like, oh, we can tell. <laughs> so they go to Turkey, and they meet the Iranians, and they bring them to Jesus. And then I read an article before we went on Wednesday. Someone put, I think they'd put it on Facebook, and I read this article saying that the Iranian church is officially the fastest growing church in the world. Officially. And the second fastest is in Afghanistan. Imagine. Because the Holy Spirit creates a world of his own and he has started a revolution. And in this article it said... That the, and, and it must have been kind of fashioned on the people that we were with on Wednesday, I think. They didn't mention any names. And actually, you know, they don't like names being mentioned because they are literally in danger of their lives. And if they go back into Iran, they would be. And there are people who become Christians in Turkey who then go back into Iran because they feel called to. And so I read this article and they said they have no property of their own, no buildings, no official structures of leadership, and the majority of church leaders in the Iranian church are women. Isn't that amazing? A regime that has made it their business to oppress and suppress women can't suppress the Christian ones. See what the Holy Spirit does? And I think, I don't need to be teaching this too much longer. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit's just going to do it, I think. And it's going to be exciting. I was preaching on Friday. I got asked to, um, to preach a sermon on Exodus 1 or, uh, and the Exodus 5 and 6. Anyway, it was a bit of a... I, I looked at the text and I was like, gosh, that's a bit overwhelming but it's about the release of Israel uh, from slavery. And I was really convicted as I was studying these texts. I found it quite a sort of, quite, uh, in a sense, 
overwhelming that, that, that what the Israelites had to go through in Egypt and then the sort of the trauma really of what it took for them to come out. It was traumatic. But one of the things that really struck me as I was studying this was that Pharaoh had completely underestimated them, all of them. He'd underestimated the women. He'd underestimated Moses and Aaron, and he had totally underestimated God. He thought he had all the power. And I feel that we're coming into a time where we, we've lived in Europe and we are still in Europe. <laughs> and we're always, we're always going to be European. And we've lived, on, because we live in the mindset of Europe. And we live in a place that for a long, long time has underestimated God. Has underestimated the power that comes out from God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the Israelites were enslaved for a very long time, way too long. And that's one of the things that I found troubling as I was preparing this sermon. And I've, been, I've done some study of the Atlantic slave trade, which just went on. Well, it should never have started in the first place. It was an abomination. And it went on way, 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 way too long. But the Christians, the, the Christian people, both who had been enslaved and people here and people in other parts of Europe, we began to protest and to pray and to cry out to God, we don't want it to be like this anymore. And eventually, things changed. And we mustn't underestimate the power of the church when the church begins to cry out to God, when individuals get raised up to stand. So Moses and Aaron had to stand before Pharaoh. What a terrifying thing to do. And then they saw God around them bringing these plagues. And then eventually they were freed at great cost, but they were freed. And so we need a power that is more than us. Because sometimes the opposition is fierce, but the opposition has totally underestimated the power of Jesus and totally underestimated the power of the church. And just um, during the worship, I just saw uh, as if somebody just lighting a fuse. You know those people in like in um, old movies <laughs> where you have this trail of gunpowder, you know, and they light the end and it just sparks and then it runs along until you get this big explosion. And I think that God has lit something. I think he has. And I think that there are, there are people here and there are plans that God has for Skylark and for the churches that you represent in this area. I think you've been underestimated. I think there's been a sense of, oh, the church is over here doing that. 
But quite soon, people are going to wake up and they're going to go, wait, the Christians are here. (laughs) The Christians are here and people are being healed and there's reconciliation and there's salvation and there's peace breaking out. That's the revolution. And it's such good news. It really is such good news. And so I would like to pray. I'd like to pray for you guys that you are filled even more with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to pray that you're called to do the things that God calls you to do and that you say yes. And I'd like to pray that there are some people in this room who will have been seriously underestimated. (laughs) Because when the power of God comes on you, you will do way more than you ever thought you could. So I think we should stand. Let's just have a moment, just a moment of quiet. And let's just think uh, just for a minute about where we feel inadequate and fearful. Where we've listened to the underestimators, to the voices that have said you can't or you shouldn't. And let's remember that Jesus is the one who takes our hands and raises us up. And that nothing's beyond him. Not even the worst betrayal. Remember, Peter knew him. (laughs) Not the worst crippling not the worst dependency, not even death. Because he is the victor and he's the healer and he's the savior. So just in a moment of quiet, just bring yourself to him. And if you want to put your hands out to receive from him, then do.
So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here and we invite you in. We invite you in with all your power, with all your love, with all your affirmation. with all your power to uproot the fear and uproot the inadequacy and to raise us up to stand. And I just break guilt over anyone in the name of Jesus. Where there's been a weight of guilt, I just break that now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Just let him come to you. Let him fill you. Let him come into places where maybe you've kept him out because you weren't sure what he was going to do or say. Tell him you trust him. He's so trustworthy. He's so kind. We'd love to pray for healing as well tonight. I just um, had a maybe had a couple of things that uh, I think one was um, a sciatic pain that I felt there's someone who's got sciatic pain and I just think that the Lord wants to heal that and I had a sense of a, a stabbing pain um, around the left eye I also have a sense that someone um, feels that you're facing something much bigger than you thought, that as you were listening tonight, you thought, gosh, I think this is much bigger than I thought it was. And you want God's power and help for that. And I think there's someone here who uh, God is, wants to give you strategies. I just have a sense that God wants to give you new strategies for making decisions and for kind of running something or managing something. So I, I see someone just sitting down with Jesus and Jesus downloading strategies for you. <laughs> 